Hi everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And this is The Dapper Meeple. This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion. So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language. Also, Dapper Meeple hat, not required. Today we're going to talk about recent forays into media by some of our favorite franchises. We're also going to revisit one of our first prototype reviews, Gadget Grid, and talk about our finished copy we just got in hand. We also talk about how modern board games are better, aka why Monopoly sucks. All that, our crowdfunding roundup, and more on this episode of the Dapper Meeple. So I'm not saying that we're going to make it a normal thing, but this three weeks between episodes gives me a lot of time to dick around. (laughs) So we took last week off uh, because life is uh, busy right now, and we're trying to do some new things here at the Dapper Meeple. We're expanding a little bit, building a website, putting together uh, a couple of things that hopefully will make out really good segments later on. Um, Yeah, like I feel like we're finally getting our feet underneath us after two years. Yeah, you know. So, slow starters. It's okay though. <laughs> it only took thirty episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, um, I mean a lot of things happened. Um, obviously, I had to get my wisdom teeth taken out, so that was exciting. You know, obviously, not being able to really talk is kind of an important part of you know recording a podcast. Right, right. But uh, yeah, so good times though. Uh, excited to have some really cool stuff. Hopefully, in the works. Um, as soon as we kind of get some things nailed down, we'll of course talk about that. We got a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of new things coming around. Um, we got Star Wars Celebration going on. We got the new D&D movie. We got a couple games that have come in from Kickstarter, which you know that's always exciting. So, right. Especially yeah. when you forget about them and this is the box shows up. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> Christmas in freaking April. So, uh, yeah, the Star Wars Celebration, which I know isn't really a game-related thing, but I feel like our audience probably has a lot of crossover there. Yeah. Um, but if you are one of those Star Wars fans that makes it incredibly toxic and the worst fandom knock that shit off (laughs) good lord like i just people get so angry over the silliest things um i'm a big fan of everything i know i was talking to the girlfriend um and she has never been a star wars fan mostly because when she tried to get involved you know people like oh yeah you're a star wars fan well what's the name of the trash monster you know and it's like (laughs) (laughs) what's wrong with you people yeah Uh, but she's been watching The Mandalorian with me, and she has really liked that. Uh, I think it's a great show. Filoni and Favreau like have it like firmly in their hands. They're plugging plot holes. They're making new stories. Yeah. You know, I, we've got a friend of ours that uh, he's like, "I'm not watching season three. I just don't think it's right." And I'm like, "Dude, what is wrong with you? It is Star Wars, and we're getting Mandalorian Star Wars." Yeah, which is like, you know, everybody always focuses on the Jedi, and it's one of the things that I loved about the MMO Star Wars Galaxies that got shut down because people were too whiny. Again, yeah. Star Wars fandom <laughs> just sucks. Is like, you know what? I'm going to make a character, and I'm going to make furniture for people's houses. And that's what you did. Yeah. That yeah. game was awesome. And not everybody could be a Jedi, and that was the point. And then they were like, there's not enough Jedi. And then everybody's running around with lightsabers. I'm just building bounty hunters because I'm like, nope, we're done with this. I'll just kill them all. There's so many good things coming out of the Star Wars celebration that's going on over in Europe right now. A lot of it is talking about the new shows, right. uh, the Ahsoka series that's coming up. Yep. For all the people that are like, Rebels sucks, Rebels isn't really canon, blah, 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 blah. Rebels is canon, and we're getting live action Rebels. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I got to say, I, I feel like The Mandalorian is one of the best things to happen to Star Wars in a while, mm-hmm. um, especially with all the crazy pushback from the last like trilogy of movies. Right. Um, to really have a live action series that is fantastic. And of course, even stuff like Bad Batch and stuff, they've done really well right. with as well. I feel like Mandalorian has kind of been the headliner. Yeah. Um, probably yeah. because of Grogu, let's be honest. I know, right? He's, he's adorable. There's something there for everybody. If you just want to yeah. show up and be like, I love Baby Yoda, and I know that makes people angry. <laughs> he's got a name! They don't care. They don't care. <laughs> They're just happy to see the little green dude bouncing around. Leave it alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I uh, saw the Ahsoka trailer. Uh, the other night, um, actually saw it on Disney Plus after we watched the Mandalorian episode. Uh, fantastic! So many really cool like callbacks, uh, little tidbits of like little flashes of people, and you're like, "Wait a second, that person looks familiar." Then you gotta go look them up, and you're like, "Oh, that's who that is!" So, yeah. Right? So some really cool stuff with there. Um, I'm glad we're actually getting to see some of the main characters from Rebels like get you know live action screen right. time. So right now we have seen. Okay, so we've seen all the characters from the Phoenix Squadron, which was Rebels, except for the one yeah. that's dead. Uh, I mean, maybe we'll get a Force Ghost of Kanan. Uh, that'd be great. Yeah. But uh, Harris Syndulla, who became General Syndulla in the Resistance yep. later on, and she's going to be played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. So, fantastic actress. Sabine Wren, we saw her. Yep. Uh, we've seen Ahsoka, of course, since she's headlining the series. I guess she's got to show up. We saw Zeb, the yep. Lasat, in The Mandalorian. Um, if you didn't see it, and this is a spoiler, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> but it wasn't the last episode. It was one before. Uh, he's, he's in a pilot bar for yeah. the Resistance, uh, and he walks up, and everybody's like, oh, it's a Lasat. And if you actually watch the credits, they credited it as Zeb, <laughs> and the voice yeah. actor is doing the voice again. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we're seeing them again. Uh, you saw Chopper in the in yeah. the trailer. Yep. Which is the homicidal? He's got more like kills attributed to him than anybody else in the series. Like it was ridiculous. <laughs> he took out a whole star destroyer by himself, so that's like one hundred and fifty thousand, right? Um, you also saw some people that I wasn't expecting. Uh, there's a droid towards the end of the uh, trailer, and it's voiced by David Tennant. It was voiced by David Tennant in the Clone Wars, and it's Hu Yang. And his responsibility was teaching younglings to build lightsabers. There's a whole, like, there's a couple of episodes where he's doing that in the Clone Wars. Yeah. Uh, so you get to see, they're bringing that back. Like, I'm talking about some deep cuts that they're going for. Yeah. Um, and like I said, David Tennant is going to be doing the voice again, so. Yeah, we got to see, like, a, a Thrawn yes, know, like, from the back, which. Yes, and uh, who was it? Lars Mikkelsen. Okay. Who was the original voice of Thrawn in Rebels is coming back to actually do the live action, which they've been doing that a lot. Um. I, I I think the only one they haven't done that with was uh, Ahsoka herself. Yeah. You know, she they had Rosario Dawson play it, but she wasn't the original voice. Oh, yeah. While we're talking Star Wars, I mean, Katie Sackhoff is Bo-Katan. Yeah. Like, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. All the way around. Like, amazing actress. I've loved watching her and a lot of the other stuff she's done, like Logmire and stuff. But, yeah, having her come back as Bo-Katan, like, she nails it every time she's on screen. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love seeing the mommy memes too. They're hilarious. They're really cracking me up. <laughs> oh, and I'm there. I'm there. Like I didn't think Mandalorian armor was that hot. And then I was like, oh, oh, now I see it. I see it now. Okay. <laughs> uh, so talking entertainment. I mean, let's talk about Honor Among Thieves because we went and saw it for your birthday. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of deep cuts, right? Um, there's some some really, really, really nice fan service in that movie, and it's just a even outside of that, it's just a good movie. Yeah. 
like uh, I feel a lot of the criticism came from people saying, you know, it's not serious enough. It's not, you know, it, it's not this epic fantasy like Lord of the Rings or something like that. And guys, if you've never played at a D&D table, if you find a table that's playing an epic fantasy game, good luck. <laughs> yeah, right. Like even I have played in some like really like ugh, serious isn't the right word, but like campaigns that had you know that whole emotional connection to them yeah and yeah. it's not all serious all the time exactly i'm coming here to do this on my free time i don't need anything yeah. else to stress about that's yeah. Th- yeah. this is my escapism from reality knock yeah. that shit off yeah they feel like they nailed a D table yes right I, and i feel even within the movie there are moments and things that happen where you're like, oh, yeah, I could definitely see that happening. Like that dude just rolled a one like, you know, and that's I, I really like how they made it flow like that. I mean, and the the shenanigans and the plans that the you know main characters came up with, you're like, yeah, I think I read something very similar. Exactly. As soon as you see the plan start and they go into like the montage of getting the plan ready, yeah. it, you're going if you've ever sat at a D&D table, you'll go, that's a D&D plan right there. Yeah. yeah 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 and i feel like the there were some really good lore callbacks oh my god just a, across throughout the whole movie that were really really good I just, there was a lot of really good things i like the classic monsters that they game the classic party that they rolled with in, yeah in the the scene with the maze um that was hilarious you know yeah just in case you haven't figured it out there are going to be some minor spoilers here but go see the movie i went yeah. and saw it twice and it was just as good the second time around yeah, I really feel like this is the D&D movie that we needed. Yeah, yeah, because they, they did make a D&D movie. You know, it's one of those things that we don't talk a lot about, like saying Voldemort and shit. Like the Star Wars Christmas special. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> we just don't talk about it, but I think it's important when you look back on it, because the first D&D movie, they tried to make it serious and then put some fun in it, Yeah. right? I mean, they had a Wayans brother, yeah. right? Was yeah, it yeah. Marlon was in it? Yeah. Um, it just, and it flopped. It flopped. It had a great cast. Uh, the story really wasn't bad. It just it just flopped. It yeah. just didn't land. And I think a lot of that was one. They set the story in a like a new or a pre, a fairly unknown setting, you know. Um, and like I said, they try to be a serious story with some funny, right? Where this one, they set the story firmly in the forgotten realms. You see. Yeah. Icewind Dale. Matter. They start out at um the the prison that they start at is Revel's End, which comes out of like actual lore, right? Which is fantastic. Like from from the first minute that you're in this, you're in this, right? Yeah. Um, they show you the map. I know Icewind Dale has a kind of a real special place to me. The first D and D game that I ever really played took place in Icewind Dale. Like my second session, I met Driss Duerden. <laughs> which is a character that I just read about in the new books that I just started reading. Yeah. yeah. Which is up to like book number 33 now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so good at what they did. And they didn't take themselves too seriously. I've heard that the cast actually sat down and played a D&D game as their characters before they filmed. Yeah. Which that's, that's, it's great. Yeah. Like, um, I just really, this, I was really happy with it. Like, I really was. It's a fantastic movie. It's the complaints that I've heard about it are all minor 
like you know the issue about the druid turning into an owlbear oh, yeah. and things like like right. druids can't turn into owlbears because owlbears aren't beasts technically that's the other thing I love about this movie is when you see something like that in my head I can see the DM going no I'll allow it yeah 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 um because the argument has been made if you look at the owlbear stat block there are much like meaner things she could have turned into oh yeah like it's not that bad but I really like that that kind of little bit of artistic liberty. Yeah. Like, they didn't push it too far, but they did things that, like, allowed the story to progress. Yeah. And it's exactly like you said. I, I see it being a complete rule of cool kind of thing that was done to make the story continue. And, and because that's what we like to talk about. When we play D&D, we play D&D to make a good story. Yeah. Like, and right. that's that's exactly what I feel like this kind of movie embodied. Absolutely. Um. There are some great, I think the best scene for me that shows where I see a DM at work is the very first scene when they go to, or not the very first scene, but when they go at Revel's Inn and it's basically like the day they get to like try for a pardon. Yeah. And there's like four people supposed to be on the council. There's a gnome, a dragonborn, a human, and then an Aarakocra that is late. And I could just see the party going, what's the Aarakocra's name? Uh... Jonathan? <laughs> that is an on-the-spot name if I've ever heard it. Yeah. And now the party's locked in on Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think for me, it was probably when um, they were in the Underdark, and they were going to um, like get across the bridge, and the sorcerer accidentally steps on it, and the bridge collapses. And then all of a sudden now, the magic staff that... <laughs> Or this, the walking stick that the barbarian had taken from her ex is now a magic staff of... A hither-thither staff. Yeah, a hither-thither staff. I mean, come on, man. If that's not a made-up way to get <laughs> your party across the chasm because you did not expect them to break the bridge. Yeah. 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 Uh, which was great because that led into uh, the Chunky Dragon. Yeah. Oh. And then, of course... Like any D and D party, they took that magic item that you create on the fly and then abused it the rest of the campaign. Oh my god, yes, <laughs> that was part of the D and D plan. Yeah, yeah. So there were so many really, really good moments like that. Um, but yeah, it was it was fantastic. And I think one of the things too that they did really well in this movie, like we've talked a little bit about, is there's a lot of nostalgia, right? For yeah. especially for people, I'm I have read Forgotten Realms for years. Right. I see these maps that they show and I'm like, I've been there. They pick up Simon in uh, was it Tribor, which is the town you start out with if you started playing the Mines of Fendelver. Yeah. Oh, let's talk about the Chunky Dragon. There is a red dragon. <laughs> You've seen him on the uh, the trailers already, but that's Thembershod. And he's got a whole backstory. Yeah. Like I've ran the campaign that has him as the backstory. Um, he was in uh, Grackleshug, Grackleshlog, the uh, the deep uh, dwarf city. And they've had a red dragon that fires their forges. And basically, when it gets too big, they kill it and get a new one. Uh, Thembershot figures this out, and it becomes a thing where, like, they're hiring adventurers to go, like, get eggs and, to, like, do something so they can kill this dragon and get a new one. Because he's gotten too big to leave the city at this point, which right. you saw. Um, and he hires the adventurers to, like, mess with the city, like, destroy the eggs and stuff. Like, it's an <laughs> ongoing thing. Um, but that's, a like, you want to talk about deep cuts that, you know, they're bringing back. Um, the, the bad guy in this is somebody that I, I've actually used them as a villain in my campaign as the big, big bad that you're never going to touch, but he's definitely screwing with you through his agents. Yeah. 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 Like, and just the fact that I've always loved using 
the Red Wizards of Thay as, you know, if not the actual bad guy, as definitely the boogeyman. Yeah, because they, I mean, 100%, that's, that fits their MO. <laughs> yeah, right? This is what they do. Uh, so, yeah, great movie. Um, it's already made millions of dollars. So if you if you don't want to go see it, fine. Um, but I would encourage you, if you're a D&D fan, go sit and watch this movie. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to get the popcorn D20 from AMC, I mean, good luck. Also, screw AMC right now. A little upset. Don't want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> but go see the movie. You know, this is the kind of thing. If we want more of this, like I talk about this all the time. This is something that I've you know listened to uh, hearing Kevin Smith talk. If you love this stuff, you go put your money where your mouth is because yeah. that's how we get more of it. Yeah. So. Which, yeah, this is a great reintroduction into like movie media type. I would love to see more of this in the future. Right. Would love to see even TV spinoffs, like sure. that sort of sure. stuff. And I mean, that's. I, I feel like this kind of storytelling is the way that the franchise should go. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like this is probably a result of Critical Role yeah. um, with what the stuff they're doing with Vox Machina, the TV show. Uh, Joe Maganello, who is a huge D&D nerd, is talking about headlining a spinoff series from Dragonlance. Yep. Uh, they're already talking a sequel to this movie. And like, maybe we'll put Drist in there. And I'm like, dude, I love it. Don't screw it up. <laughs> yeah. Don't screw it up. Like, I have faith in you right now, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, go check it out. Like I said, put your money where your mouth is, um, and let's support the stuff that we love. Yeah. Speaking of supporting stuff that we love. Yeah, let's jump into uh, one game that we just got from Kickstarter. Uh, we actually did a review on it uh, with a, what, uh, prototype copy? Yeah, like what, what pre-production. Of our, yeah, one of our first prototype copies we've ever gotten. Um, just gonna put that out there, board game famous. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, so the game is Gadget Grid. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit. They went to Kickstarter, they successfully funded, and now they've shipped, and we have our copy. Yeah, the final copy looks, I mean, it looks great, right? I really loved it. We might actually do a full review on it again at some point. I've put a couple of reviews out online. Um, they're on Amazon, yeah, so they're selling on Amazon. They got their own store there. I went and did a review on it. Uh, this game. Um, it's a little chaotic, which yeah. I kind of like. Yeah. Um, and we played it. Uh, I sat down with like a group of six. You can play up to eight, um, but a group of six is what I played with, which is kind of like their full group. You have to get into special rules after that. Right. But I mean, it was a blast. Everybody was engaged. The turns went pretty quick once everybody kind of figured stuff out. Um, but the so the premise of the game is you're in this like alien deathmatch reality TV show. Yeah. And they put you on the grid. And the board is literally numbered 1 to 99. It's a grid. Um, and the way they set it up is really smart. Like, there's, like, kind of like these diagonal laser beams that connect the numbers, right? Which is important because the first thing that you do is you kind of set it up with dice rolls, right? you got 2d10 that you're basically rolling. And you roll, and you roll a 2 and a 5. So you would pull a card from the gadget deck, and you put it on 25 and 52 which line up on those lines. Uh, really smart. You're populating the grid so that you have, you can pick up weapons and armor and equipment and things to use. Yep. There's also the Zombots on the grid, which they say are just put together from old contestants. And uh, on your turn, when it's your turn to attack, you can either use a weapon that you've picked up, you can use the remote control to activate one of the sentries, 
which are different blocks that go down and they do damage in like different shapes, which really yeah. makes it interesting. One of them just kind of shoots out in every direction. One of them damages everything out to two blocks near it, except for its adjacent blocks are saved. Uh, some of them just make diagonal attacks. Really interesting play, and it really keeps you on your toes, because you've only got three life points. Yeah. And there's no way to recover those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember when we first talked to the guys, and we had the prototype copy, we were like, hey, is there any way to heal yourself? And they're like, nope, keeps the game moving. And I was like, <laughs> all right. But it is a lot of fun. So right now on Amazon, if you go in and you type Gadget Grid board game, you can find it for 34 bucks, which is a great price for this game. Just some of the stuff that's coming up next to it. Ticket to Ride is going for like 47 Fire Tower, which is another great game that we played at PAX, yep. that's going for like 39 bucks. Um, It's a deal. Like, it's a deal, and it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. This game works really well with, like, groups. And the people that I had playing, a couple of them were not what I would call board gamers. After, like, two or three rounds, they caught on, you know, uh, and were able to play and kind of get their stuff together. And, I mean, everybody had a really good time. Um, like I said, we previewed this game. So to see it kind of finally in, like, its final edition um, was really awesome. It was a really fun game. I, I, I really enjoyed the prototype. I haven't gotten to play the copy that we've gotten yet um, because, obviously, life and things. But I, it's really cool for us to be able to say, hey, like, we looked at that. Like, we reviewed that before it was a thing. <laughs> right? It comes out and gets successful, and I'm like, called it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that we had anything to do with that, mind you. Like, right. Just right. keep that in mind. Uh, we take no credit for any success of this game. <laughs> but uh, And it's made by Space Bowl Games. Yep. Uh, those guys are out in California, and we've talked to them back and forth and stuff. They have another game that they're working on right now. They told, it, they told us, you know, hey, we'll keep you in mind, so hopefully we'll get to look at their next project that they're working on, yep. uh, which would be awesome. Like, great game, great bunch of guys putting it together. Um, and it was just really, not, it's another one of those good experiences that we've had. Because we got bored one day and started a podcast. Yeah, and that's that's really one of the things that we we love about this is the connections that we're able to make, the people we're able to meet, and things like that. Even if we were not, you know, trying out games that are not technically to market, just being able to meet these guys that are that are making these games are really really cool. Yep. So uh, yeah, Gadget Grid is a great example of a modern board game, um, which is something that we're going to lead right into now. All right, so a conversation that I've been having recently with quite a few people is the difference between modern board games and classic board games. Yeah. Right, so we run into people in our daily lives all the time where, you know, people ask what we do for fun. I always tell people I play board games, tabletop games. We have a podcast about it. The first question I always get is, oh, so like Monopoly? Right, right. They will name something from that Parker Brothers era. (laughs) of games that made you want to like just end it all yeah 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 and it's not even like the fun little dexterity games like fireball island or something like that it's always one of the like you know mainstream classic life monopoly chess even we've had a couple of those um risk which don't be wrong i've played all those games i've had some enjoyment out of all those games but 
inevitably we get into this conversation about why I personally, especially feel modern board games are so much better than traditional board games. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was having this conversation with my boss. Uh, I started a new job about a month ago and my boss is a board gamer. Uh, him and his uh, sons play. And it was one of those like, Oh wow, I get to talk to another adult about the thing that I love. And I was like, Oh man, like, tip of the spear here man like i mean we have a podcast that we do but we can have a podcast about it because modern board gaming is so broad and so diverse and there's Mm -hmm. so much out there um like packs is you know one of the big things that i was talking to him about like you're talking 60 70 000 people that all get together for games that we play on the table yeah right uh gen con is four days of gaming gary con out in wisconsin like this hobby is expanded so much and it's expanded so much because modern board games are not monopoly. Yeah, 100%. So that's a very similar conversation. So I went on a recent work trip overnight um, and at dinner was talking with some of my coworkers about monopoly specifically. And we were talking about um, the question came up. Well, why do you, why do you not like monopoly? And my main reason is because I think, the core things about Monopoly that people enjoy, I think other games just do better now. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. and, and it's not, you know, it's not a real dig on Monopoly. Monopoly had its place in kind of the initial, you know, starting of what is the board game phenomena today. But now there's just so many things that do it better. I'll go agree with that. Um, what I disagree with is not taking a dig at Monopoly because <laughs> Monopoly <laughs> sucks. All right. I will just say it. Me and Josh don't always have the same opinion, so if you're going to throw trash at anybody, I'll take it, but Monopoly sucks. I hate Monopoly with a deep and... (laughs) You just don't understand how much I hate that game, (laughs) and I see so many versions of it, and I hate them all. Like, it's why I'm... Shit like this is why I'm not allowed to own a flamethrower, because I'd be in, like, Target just torching that area. He he, he hates it with the passion of a thousand burning suns. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Because Monopoly was designed... First of all, the version of Monopoly that we play is not the original version of Monopoly, right? Right. Parker Brothers bought it from... uh, Oh, and I can't remember her name. I should have done my history. I'll put it in the show notes. From a woman and changed it. Originally, it was a much more socialist kind of game, right? Where it was more community-based, you know, and more closer to probably what we would consider a cooperative game now. And Parker Brothers is like, screw that capitalism, baby. <laughs> like, Monopoly is just painful. It's like people that, if you've ever played, like, MMOs, you know, different MMO players definitely are are different. And anybody who plays the MMO Eve, right, the, the learning curve for Eve is, like, you have to die three times and lose everything you've worked for. And, like, I'm talking months of work. And that's how Monopoly feels to me. Monopoly feels like I'm going to get started in this game, and at some point... I'm going to go bankrupt because I got cancer or some shit like they embody the feeling of late stage capitalism <laughs> in Monopoly. Right. So I don't like it. OK, that rants so, over. But Mo- Monopoly is going to come up quite a few times in this next segment that we talk about. Um, but there are other games, too, that we'll reference um, and especially the modern equivalents that do things better. Yeah, um, I think that's a big part of, of what we want to talk about here, because a lot of people who maybe do not follow the same circles that we do may not know about all the opportunities out there. Absolutely. Um, We have seen quite a few strides made on the retail side with places like target and Walmart picking up these more like modern hobbyist board games and filling the section with that, as opposed to it all being just like classic, 
run of the mill stuff. Yeah. So, um, let's talk about this. So we actually, to give credit where credit is due, there was a video on YouTube, um, that we saw, yeah. which we'll put the link down in the show notes. So you can kind of go through that and watch it as well. Um, he brought up 10 great points about how modern board games are different. Yes. Um, which we're going to kind of loosely run along that kind of similar structure, um, and kind of outline some of his same points. Um, and then really discuss among what we think about those. So that being said, let's hop right in. So the first thing, and this is a big stickler for me as well, um, is end of time predictability when it comes to games. So what we mean by that is you're playing a game of, let's say risk, for instance, because God knows I've played too many games of risk that went way too long. But you're playing this game and at one point a person looks like they're going to win. And then the dice just turn against them. And then all of a sudden the game that should have lasted maybe another 30 minutes now goes on for hours and hours longer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We've, matter of fact, we've done this on multiple versions of risk. <laughs> yeah. So that is, that is an issue because when, especially with the way, obviously pl- just planning a board game night in and of itself is hard enough. Trying to get people to coordinate their schedules as adults is one of the hardest things ever. But then not even being able to put a game down that you're sure you're going to finish. Like talk about, you know, making one problem even worse. So modern board games, what they try to do is they try to have a set in time, whether that is like ticket to ride, for instance, when a person gets to five trains left, then that triggers the end of the game. Sure. Um, There are sometimes score limits that can be reached or there are certain other objectives or things like that that trigger the ending of the game. Like Wonderland's War, there is you're playing Three seasons. Yep. Right? And when those are done, score it up. Yep. And that's it. And I think that does something really, really good because now you have this set time. You know that I only have a certain amount of time before like, we end this game night. We're not going to be here until 3 o'clock in the morning you know, trying to push that guy off of Australia because he's had that stronghold <laughs> the whole damn game. But yeah, so... I, that's one of the things I think modern board games do really well is setting up these constraints. Now, that being said, this is a great place to kind of drop in. We're not saying every modern game is good and we're not saying every classical game is bad. Right. But there are things that some do better than others. And there are even more modern board games that do not do this well. Right. Right. There are games that will go and take too long. And there's some people who love those games. And that's part of the beauty about this hobby. <laughs> Look at you, Twilight Imperium. <laughs> that's part of the beauty is that you can love those games and you can still be a part of this community. So uh, next thing. Talking about, you know, when you take turns during these games, making sure that you can do something meaningful and impactful and fun. Yeah. On your turn. Yeah. Right. Um, Because there are some games, uh, so if you think about, like, possibly Clue or games like that, where you can get stuck in, like, this middle ground. Right. Um, Or even if you think Monopoly, if you roll the wrong thing, you just get stuck and you get thrown in jail. Other modern board games now, they try to make each turn have meaningful decisions. Things that you can do. That's one of the things that, you know, going back to, like, Forges of Ravenshire, which is the new game that's coming out from BA Games... I've been trying to put it into words exactly what I liked about it because I am not great at uh, engine building or um, like the take mechanic at the beginning, the worker placement. placement. Um, Not really stellar at those. And that's probably a lack of experience, really. But that's one of the things that I really like about it is that 
whether you're in the collection phase or you're in the production phase, you're doing something meaningful with yeah. every action that you do. And that's what we're talking about. Like you make the decision where you're going to put your workers and what workers you're, or what dice you're going to take back in the beginning. You're planning for your end of that season, what you're going to be able to make, yeah. right? There's always something that you can do. And even if somebody takes something that you want, you can go, all right. And it's pretty easy to pivot onto something else. Yeah. So you're not stuck in this, like I have a turn, but I did nothing. Yeah. And I think a lot of games really do this well now. Yeah. Um, they try to make make it to where every player, no matter what happens in the game, every player has an opportunity to do something impactful on their turn. Yes. And yeah. it's not always, obviously, it's not always going to be the same impact. Sure. Um, sometimes you do have those turns where you have to spend a turn building or something like that. But, sure. I mean, you look at games. So I, I like to really bring Ticket to Ride in the conversation when we're talking about these other games because... It's a very much entry level like hobbyist board game and it does so many things well. There's a reason why it is a staple across most people's collections. And that's one of the things that it does really well is allowing you to place these trains, even even the turns that you're collecting trains and you're not placing. It allows you to make decisions because there's the ones on the board you can choose from or you can take a gamble and take ones off the top like but it's fast. Yeah. And even those turns where it's like, oh, I didn't really do a whole lot. It's okay because in just a couple seconds, your turn's going to be right back up. Right. Right. I think that's one thing that, that modern board games, you get those options. Yeah. Uh, Moonraker is another great one where you can, you can try to complete a contract. You can try to, um, uh, you know, you can pick up resources or you can just stay at base and collect extra resources. So you're building for that next turn. Yeah. But every time it's impactful. So the other one, uh, the next thing kind of want to talk about is player elimination. Yes, because the first time you get knocked out of Monopoly <laughs> in the first 30 minutes and you have to sit there for the next four and a half hours while the rest of the people play, like nobody can argue that that's fun. Yeah. So I actually this was one of the things that I brought up in the conversation that I had recently was if you invite somebody over to your house to play a game. And they play said game. And then within the first like quarter of the game, that player gets knocked out. And they have nothing to do but hang out and watch. Like, that's not a great time for anybody. Right. So. That, that, that ranks up there one of those feel bad moments. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to make the person not want to come over to your house again. Yeah. Which, you know, which if you're shooting for that, I guess. But unfortunately, you can't, like, target people very good in Monopoly. So I guess, you know. <laughs> but no, Gotta seriously, the, the way that modern board games fix this is kind of a way we already talked is. You know, they have these set end times for the game, and it's not built on player elimination. Right. Right. So, you know, Ticket to Ride, the five trains, everybody's in until somebody's down to five trains. You get one more round to do what you can, and then it's done. Right. You know, Wonderland's War, you get the seasons. Even if you're way behind in, in points and stuff, you're still playing all the way to the end. Right. One thing I like is that a lot of games now that have player elimination allow you to continue to play after you've been eliminated. I was, yep. Yep. So that is an, another like a really good way to still keep that element of player elimination in there because that does create a tension that people do enjoy, but then not punishing people for being eliminated. Cult of the Deep does it really well where once you're eliminated, you come back as a wraith. Yeah. And you can affect people's roles. You can affect some of the placement of the dice in there with the mechanic that they have. So you're still making an impact on the game. Fantastic. Definitely one of the big ones for me. Um, 
because I just don't want to ever have somebody be put in it. I don't personally want to be put in the situation where I have to sit around and watch people play a game. Yeah. You know, so um, the next thing we talk about is scores. Um, so with scoring, a lot of older games, there can be that one person who runs away with it. Sure. Right? Sure. And I think this is one of those things we talked about the article uh, a couple of months ago about the guy that was like, board game nights suck. And we yeah. were like, you're an idiot. Um, but I think that was one of the things that he talked about is like you show up to somebody's house to play board games and you play a game that they're so good at that they're like, you know, two, three times ahead of you in points. And there's just there's no way to catch them. Yeah. Yeah. That again, it definitely falls into those feel bad moments where it's just like it's just not fun anymore. Yeah. And credit to my wife. She is a fantastic ticket to ride player. Yeah. Mainly because she plays so often. Um, she loves the app, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I love how Ticket to Ride does this secret mechanic with the routes. So in Ticket to Ride, if you don't know, you get to choose these routes um, that basically give you bonus points at the end of the game if you complete them. Sure, that's where you're, you're building the train lines. Exactly. Yeah. Now, you get points for every train you place onto the map, but these extra points kind of are that variable at the end. So uh, during a normal game of Ticket to Ride, most of the time the scores stay pretty tight. Until the very end. Um, so, and I, I think that kind of goes back to this. The end score may be a little bit different, and you may have somebody who kind of runs away with it at the end, but you don't know about it until after until the game is the over. End. Yeah. Right? Um, the other thing that a lot of games do are catch-up mechanics. So, I know one of my favorites comes from Quacks of Quedlin. Yes. Um, so, Quacks is a very fun bag-building game. It's very random. It's very hectic. Um, but one of the things it does very good is that when you have a player who is far ahead of another player, you get certain boosts to the end score of yours. Right. Because so, in Quack, you're trying to build a potion. You're right. And you're trying to see who can add the most stuff into their potion for a higher score. And what it does is it lets the person that's behind start further down the track. Yeah. 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 So you get some really cool, um, interesting things with that that can help these people who fall behind build back some of those points. Yeah. And it's not an unfair thing. It's not something that if you're behind, you automatically jump to the lead or anything. Yeah. But it's just a little bit of a boost that helps you be able to get back into the game. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're still in the running, but yeah. it's by no means going to rocket you to the front. I mean, it's not an automatic blue shell. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's that's another thing, you know, Mario Kart, definitely the blue shell is exactly what these catching mechanics do. They allow you to target players usually at the front and allow you to kind of make up that ground to keep that distance from being too far. So um, the next thing that I think modern board games do really well is a variable setup. Yes. So traditionally in board games, you set the game up and that is the way it is always set up. Right. Um, For instance. When you open Monopoly, it's the same board every time, right? It, they may call it something different, but it's the same board. <laughs> it's usually something, something Monopoly, right? There's not even any, it's it's not even creative there. <laughs> so one of the games. We're going to get a season desist from Parker Brothers. Watch. Know, right? One of the games that does this really well is actually more of a, a staple modern board game is Catan. Yes. So if you've never played Catan, Catan is made up by these um, hexagonal tiles that you build the board out of. And so every time the board looks a little bit different. 
Um, you also randomly put the numbers on each of the tiles as well. So that changes up every game. The game itself is still the same, but the setup is different. So it makes it feel like a different strategy every single time. Right. And rest in peace to Klaus Tober, who is the designer of Catan, who just passed away a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, it, it does this so well. And, um, you know, we can get into we can get into Euro games and why there are Euro games and, you know, because of World War Two and things like that. But this is one of the things that that a lot of new games do well. They allow for this variable kind of change in setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the addition to that, you have like these modular boards like Catan, um, but you also have things like. Um, when you're shuffling a certain deck for that you're going to draw out of, you might only include like three quarters of the deck in each game. Sure. So you'll shuffle everything up and then take off some of them so you never know exactly what set of cards you're playing with. Right. Um, things like that that create this variability in the game, which we talk about every time we do game reviews with replayability. Yes. Yes. Looking at something like Gadget Grid, where you have this grid of numbers in front of you. It's a square grid. So you're just playing on the same board every time. But when you do your setup, you build your setup deck, which is the cards that represent the characters, the zomboy, zombots, and uh, different gadgets or something. But you're just randomly pulling some of those. Yeah. Right? And you build that startup deck. And then you roll the 2d10 in place on each end. So you never know what you're going to get. Same board every time. But the, the initial setup always starts out something completely random. So the next two we want to talk about, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, yeah. Player agency and non-frustrating luck. Right? And we can go back to our good friend Monopoly for this one. <laughs> um, every time you roll the dice and you end up on the go directly to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200 square, you feel this, right? Every time that you are trying to land on that last location to complete the three so you could start building hotels on it and you've passed it five times now around the board yep every single time you feel that frustrating luck and it feels like you have a lack of player agency absolutely there's nothing that you can do to change what's getting ready to happen like beyond the role and the unknown the luck the rng you know, the roll of the dice is still a great mechanic that a lot of other games have. Yeah. But what we're talking about is when that's it. We did another game review um, on one uh, Intergalactic Ace where there was a lot of that, where it was just the roll of the dice was the only thing that mattered. There was nothing you could do to influence that. Risk is another great example of just frustrating luck mechanic. Yeah, because there have been so many times when you are sitting there attacking that person you have 30 troops and they have five. And the next thing you know, you can't attack anymore because you're down to two troops and they still have four. Like, it's funny because those five are obviously like they're green berets and they're taking yeah. out whole armies yeah. and stuff. <laughs> but as the person playing the game, it's incredibly frustrating because the way the game works, you should be able just to overpower them. But the dice have decided that no, and there is nothing that you yeah. can do to change that. And, you know, and we we counter that with the modern board games, the way that they do dice mechanics and things. A lot of them have dice manipulation 
either effects like cards yes. or abilities. I mean, shoot, one of our favorite games, I Dice was Throne. Say, let's talk Dice Throne. Yeah, it is a dice game. That's that's what it is. At, at its heart, it is that <laughs> rolling the dice and that Yahtzee mechanic. Yep. And it allows you to adjust the dice and change the faces and do things like that with the card play element, which means it's no longer straight luck. That's an element of it, sure. But there are also elements of card play and things like that um, to mitigate those dice. Right. So you're not relying completely on fate. You've got some agency yeah. in the decision and what's getting ready to happen. Yeah. Uh, there are so many so many things like that. And I mean, shoot, even with Forges of Ravenshire, there's the element of luck because you do roll the dice every time and then set them out. But then you have choice to use how those dice are placed how they affect things and all that sort of stuff. Right. So I think that's one thing that modern board games do really well. There are still games out there that are made that still rely purely on luck. Yeah. Yeah, there are. And you get a lot of the dice mechanic too. And some of the, even in the tabletop, like D and I mean, everybody yeah. knows, you know, everybody knows the shape of a D 20 now. Yeah. Right. Um, Fate core is another great system where you're rolling a dice, but you don't you know, like, there's no guarantee that you absolutely fail. Like, yeah. you can fail spectacularly, which yeah. is amazing, um, but you're still getting, you're still moving the story along, and you're still getting something out of that dice roll, and you're just not, like, life and death. Right. Yeah, so the next next thing we want to talk about is direct conflict in games. Uh, so this one is, this one's interesting, because there are still a lot of games that do have, like, direct conflict. Absolutely. Some of our favorites, Dice Throne, Unmatched. Mm-hmm. Um, your your whole goal is going up against somebody and playing with your powers for your character or maybe a couple of people like in the case of you do like king of the hill for dice throne it is very much a direct uh competitive game but then there's a lot of others that while competitive you don't deal with you don't have direct conflict yeah um so this is kind of where we can we can dive more into the whole euro game aspect and things like that yeah um so so obviously, if you know anything about the history of board games, you know that a lot of the Euro games kind of were born out of the German kind of board game scene. That was pretty much the initial kind of push to that. And a lot of that really stages back from World War II. Right. Um, when you had these games coming out like Risk and Axis and Allies and things like that that are direct conflict games about war. Sure. You had the Germans who did not obviously want to make games about war. Um, so they were getting creative with the games that they were making and how they, you would interact with the other players in the game. They could still be competitive, but were not direct conflict war games, which a lot of what we were seeing, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties was kind of what that was coming out. Sure, out in the UK, they actually developed Warhammer at that time, which right. was incredibly popular. Right. And, we have the birth of these Euro games, which now have become a huge part of modern board gaming, mm-hmm. um, that they basically allow you to interact with players, even in a conflicting way, but you're not destroying the things that they're doing. Exactly. Catan's a great example of that, that I know that he brings up in the video. Yep. Ticket to Ride. Actually, Azul is, is, a, great, is a great aspect of this because... You are choosing your tiles, and there can be some of that got you mechanic in your if you hate draft the tiles, right? Um, which is is a common term, 
Um, but even then, at most, you're just taking away some of the decisions for the other players. There's still options for them to go. Right. And right. although that will affect them in the game, you're not destroying the things they've already completed. Yeah. Right. And I, I think that's a lot of it, uh, that there is still conflict in games and there is still meaningful conflict in these games. Um, but it's not not everything now is just a direct war conflict type of game. Um, and even some of the ones that are, they just do it better now. Sure. Um, they're not, you're not playing this game where you're trying to completely decimate your opponent. Yeah. Like, so I, I think Scythe is another very good example of this um, because Scythe on the outside looks like it's going to be a risk working with mechs. Yeah, it does. It really does. Um, but when you play it, you actually find out, no, it's a lot more about like resource management and engine building. Um, oh, wow. There's more to war than just war. This is crazy. Yeah. Um, there are some aspects of conflict in there, like battle, but it's more about trying to gain these victory points. Yeah. And I think a lot of games, that's kind of what they have gone to, and it works really well. So you still have that element of conflict in there between the two players, but it is not as pronounced like it is in some of the older games. And you still have these goals that you are constantly building towards. Right. So we can also talk about um, in this uh, games being competitive without like really being like really mean. You're not doing things just to to upset the your fellow player or your opponent. You're doing them because they are forwarding the game along. Right. Like, let's again talk about Monopoly when somebody lands on your property and you charge the 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 rent, which is astronomical and you bankrupt them right there. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's almost a little mean spirited. Again, like stage capitalism, um, <laughs> it, it's that kind of thing. Which again, which we talk about in those feel bad moments where you you're, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, and it is a little like you're out of the game, and hopefully somebody's close to winning at this point. Yeah, hopefully. Which you know, like we talked about earlier, probably not. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the the last point though that, and probably one of the most important points. Um, of things that modern board games do better is diversity in gaming. Yes, yes. The whole the whole movement away from direct conflict games too. Um, like we have spawned so many new versions of games. Like so many new mechanics have come out. Um, we talk about the Spiel des Jahres, and the reason that the Spiel des Jahres is German is because there was an emphasis on game mechanics that started there. Yep. Right. Um, and this is how cooperative games are born. Yep. You know, which is I know you're a fan of yeah. those. One of one of my favorite or probably in my if I made a top ten list of games that I love the most, probably half of them would be cooperative games. Oh yeah. Because of the things that they do so well. Yeah. Um, they still create a lot of that tension you love to see around board games, but they allow players instead the tension is not focused on the players, it's focused on the game. This has created such an amazing, diverse, like, gaming culture. You now have games where I fully believe with everything that I am that there is a game out there for everyone. Sure. And regardless of who they are or what their experience or level of gaming is, I think there's a game out there. So, uh, to illustrate this point... um recently when i went for training for work i was gone for a week down to our home office um and i met a bunch of people who worked on there and 
one of the training people, Jessica, actually, we were talking quite a bit about board games. Um, and she had never really played a whole lot besides, you know, Monopoly or things like that. And I was like, you know, there are so many new and exciting things available out there now that just because you didn't like those does not mean you will not like, you know, some of the new stuff came out. And she's a big fan of the Great British Baking Show. Sure, yeah. Um, and when I was in Target the other day, they have a Great British Baking Show game now uh, made by Ravensburger. So it's good quality. Uh, the game actually looks pretty interesting. I couldn't help myself. I took a picture and sent it over to her. And I was like, see, I told you, a game for anybody. <laughs> but in reality, that's kind of what it is. Um, just because you may not like Catan, and that's perfectly okay. Like, there may be people out there that says, everybody, gotta, you gotta like Catan to be a board game. No, you don't. No, you don't. And yeah. it's perfectly okay. Those people probably like Star Wars, too. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> that doesn't mean that you don't like board games. That just means you don't like Catan. Right. Right. And there are so many games that are coming out every single day week now you can find something out there that you can love absolutely yeah right and that's why i think we enjoy going to these cons and things like that and seeing all these new games and then not only that though actually getting a chance to sit down and play games that have been out maybe but we haven't had a chance to experience yeah you know it's, it's well known that we're late to the party on a couple things so oh yeah, yeah absolutely <clears throat> um but that's what has you know really fostered this diversity across this whole community yeah right so Things that modern board games do better, right? This list is just kind of a few of our thoughts. Um, there are so many other things too, right? If you have not played a modern board game, if you not have not had a chance to, you know, sit down and try some of these things out, I'm not sure how you found our show, but hey, welcome. Right? Um, <laughs> We're not sure what you're doing here, yeah. but we'll take everybody into the fold. There's that's, always a seat at the table. That's right. Um, because that is one of the things that I think we have built our whole, you know, choices around is that we believe that one gaming is something that can bring anybody and any people together no matter what their background or where they came from what they look like anything like that gaming is a place that they should be able to come together and enjoy and then we believe that gaming especially modern board games there is something out there for everyone yeah right there is always a seat at the table for whoever would like to sit and i think that's what really sets apart these new modern hobbyist board games from the traditional things, right? You know, there, there is so much diversity now, not only in game type, but also in representation in games. Yes. Uh, I mean, we're seeing some really, really awesome stuff by designers who are people of color that in past times would not have been given a chance. Yes. Right. And we're seeing fantastic ideas and new things coming out because all these different people from different backgrounds are now getting a chance to have their voice and their game be seen. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're new and you're looking where to start, like we said, it's like there are games that we miss. There are games that are out there that are amazing that are not on our radar because there are just so many out there. Yep. And this is not a full time thing for us. So um, capitalism still sucks. I'll go back to that. <laughs> um, so, yeah. If you're looking to start, um, a great resource is Board Game Geek. Yes. Um, for a website, uh, BoardGameGeek.com. It is probably the premier board game discussion website. And if you're somebody who's a good web crawler, you can go dig around in there and find you a lot of options. Uh, you can learn about the different mechanics, figure out what you like or what you want to try. Yep. Um, if you're more of a people person, I encourage you to find your friendly local game store. You'll yes. see this in a lot of posts. Um, 
kind of abbreviated as FLGS. Yep. Um, so in case you see that, that's exactly what it means. And it's just your local game store, your hobby store that you can go to. Um, and they're usually full of stuff. I know we have several around us. Yep. Um, and I mean, you can find everything from miniature games, board games, tabletop games. There's always tons of dice. There's always fun little uh, statues. Or I know some of ours carry the Legos, the advanced right. builds and stuff. Um, but go in there and uh, if it's a good game store, you should be able to go in and talk to the staff and be like, hey, I'm new into board gaming. Here's what I know that I like. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, absolutely. You can also join there. There are tons of pages online on Reddit and things like that mm-hmm. where they're just specifically for board games. You can talk with other people who enjoy games. Go on YouTube. I recommend the Dice Tower Yes. They have so many videos of what are essential board games. What should be your first games in the collection? Like what are the things you should play if you've never played a board (laughs) game before? Like all kinds of videos like that, that will allow you to really figure out what you like and give you kind of a starting place. And if you are checking out the dice tower and you see if Tom is wearing our pin, let us know. (laughs) Yeah. So, that wraps up that segment. Um, again, modern board games, there are so many things they do better than classical board games. Um, but speaking of modern board games, let's talk about some new Kickstarters that we have coming out. So after that discussion, I think it's totally appropriate that we kick off our crowdfunding roundup with talk of one of our favorite modern board games, Zombie Side. Yeah, so if you have not had your head in the sand when it comes to <laughs> uh, Kickstarter games going on right now, Simon uh, just announced their brand new Zombicide game, Zombicide White Death. Uh, this is a continuation of their fantasy series, which includes Black Plague and Green Horde. Some of my personal favorites on besides that is before Marvel, of course, um, you know, we'll put put that out there. But yeah, so this is their new offering uh, in Zombicide. Some would say we have not financially recovered from the last offering of Zombicide. Luckily, we both got raises. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so we have this fantastic version here. Um, before we hop into the Kickstarter, I want to get this one thing off my chest. It feels you like hate they... Monopoly too. No, something no, else. No, no, no. It's all <laughs> something else. Um, I feel like they're the art style and direction of the Zombicide are a little confused. Okay, okay. and the, I say that to say this: the Zombicide fantasy series has always been medieval fantasy. Sure. Um, with you know, the last one being um, the inclusion of orcs. So, you know, still kind of leading into the same fantasy type. Sure. Thing. But it's always been a medieval type fantasy art style. Right. We get into this one and everything about it looks like a medieval fantasy art style on the board. And then you look at the characters and it's all like East Asian art style. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. Um, that's that's interesting. Uh, anamorphic characters like there's. That's that's new, right? Like I haven't seen uh unless they were some like Kickstarter special ones, I'm pretty sure that is fairly new. But oh. that all screams like 
right eastern asian influence right right like the con abomination yeah 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 like crouching tiger hidden dragon type stuff here um but when you look at like the set pieces and everything it still looks very much medieval like european fantasy so that's my only complaint about this and it's not a major complaint because it still looks very very good um so the basic premise behind this is that you all are basically guarding this wall that is protecting the town from these zombies uh and they were trying to either get over the wall through the wall whatnot but it's still zombicide at sure. its core and yeah yeah gotcha and it's a wall so i it does feel like they're like they're doing some real heavy east like asian influence yeah with this one yeah yeah which don't get me wrong i'm all for but part of me wants to go look if that's what we're doing let's lean in heavy yeah like, like let's do this <laughs> don't um, don't send white people to china to solve the problems like that yeah. never works out yeah um so that being said there are a lot of really interesting things that this one does um so it builds on a lot of the really good stuff that came from black plague and green horde um and it adds some really cool new mechanics like there are um a potential for you to use these like guard characters mm-hmm. they're basically like extra extra player character type things that you can use to make different attacks and things like that. That's really cool. The way the necromancers and stuff work in this one is a little bit differently. Uh, They don't have their um, spawn zones necessarily, but they spread like this corruption, which if the corruption gets inside the city and corrupts um, the beacon, then you lose the game. So it's another aspect of ways to lose in zombicide besides just get eaten. Right. Um, They've added some really cool stuff like um, melee weapons that attack at a distance. So pole arms, really. There you go. Um, They've also added some stuff having to do with the wintry kind of theme where you can freeze zombies and stuff like that. So the big thing right now, this is still kind of early in the campaign. It's obviously funded. It funded within like, I don't know, 30 minutes or something crazy. Yeah, something quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's still 17 days to go as a time we're recording. But right now, there's only one pledge level. I see that. I'm looking at that right now, which the pledge level is 110 bucks, which reasonable. Yep. Reasonable. Like, again, uh, Marvel Zombies, I think ultimately we were, did we break the 700 mark? No, not quite, but we were close. Okay. Um, but that was with shipping, too. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shipping counts. That hurts. Um, so they may add other pledge levels, because that's what they did with Marvel Zombies, too. They kept adding pledge levels and pledge levels, and that's how we fell into that hole. Um, but right now, it's only the base game pledge level. They've already announced an expansion that will come later. Uh, it is right now just something you can add after the Kickstarter and the pledge manager. Um, so I believe it is a $45 additional buy. It's called the Eternal Empire. I'm looking at that right now. Yep. It adds a couple survivors, another abomination, a couple of other things like that. Um, Usually they get and they start to bundle these together. So we may eventually see that there may be more pledge levels because that's how they did with the Marvel Zombies pledges. Right. Um, the big thing, though, and we've talked about this when we we're talking about Marvel Zombies, the seam on Kickstarters, you back in it and you back them during the Kickstarter because of all the extras. Yeah. Right. So just looking right now, uh, already there are four, eight, twelve, sixteen, twenty. 23 new heroes just for backing the, the survivors yeah 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 and that is insane um i'm here for it but man you gotta play a lot of zombie side to get through this 
Um, so that being said, I don't know if this is going to be one that we back. We haven't really decided yet. But if you are new to Zombicide, um, if you are are not bought into any of the others, right? Like you're not all in on a Marvel Kickstarter that's going to come like those Santa Claus boxes in June. Yeah, this might be a good place to jump in. Yeah, for a couple of reasons. One. I love their fantasy series. They've always done well with those. Both Black Plague and Green Horde were probably my favorites before the Marvel set came out. Mm-hmm. But there are parts of this that are you can integrate with the Black Plague and Green Horde stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a fantastic thing. This not only gives you this game, but also you can go back to the previous games and pick up a couple pieces out of there, or maybe even the original core box from either of those, and they kind of mush everything together and play with it. So... If you are not involved in Zombicide, if you maybe only played and you like the game, this is a great entry point. Sure it is. Yeah, I think so. So right now they're saying shipping for the pledge to the United States is going to be about 30, 40 bucks. So you're talking about 150 out the door, which is not terrible. Zombicide retail retails for right at $100, give or take. Yep. Um, and then with the extras you get from the Kickstarter, that's easy worth another 30, 40 bucks. So. That's our first one. That's a pretty standard one. Um, if you haven't checked it out, take a look at the videos. There's a ton of reviews and stuff on the Kickstarter page. Um, but of course, we love Zombicide. If you love Zombicide and don't have any, this is a great place to kind of get in on. So let's talk about the next one. Uh, yes. If you play tabletop games, I think one of the big things that really any good DM or anybody that's running a good game wants is like the the structure, the the terrain. Yep. Right? That can make a really good game, especially if you're playing with minis. Yep. And as we all know, we talked about Dwarven Forge here before, and we've discussed about how possibly prohibitively expensive it can be. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the last Kickstarter that they ran, we were looking for like a full set was something like six, seven grand. Six thousand (laughs) dollars. Yeah. So to our cost conscious DMs out there. Here's something that will get you at least in that same ballpark as far as usability, but without near the price tag. So what we're talking about here is called Dungeons Pop. It's an immersive pop-up tabletop RPG battle map system. All right. So I know that's a lot of words, but basically what it is, is one of those old time pop-up books, but for your dungeon maps. Like they open up and it's like a broken tower or... Uh, a tavern or you know something in town it's kind of amazing like looking at them in the videos like these look really good and they're modular they're portable and you can make like you can pull them out for the stuff that you need yeah like when i first saw this kickstarter and it it just popped up actually recently it's still got 25 days to go as of time of recording so there's still plenty of time on this one. It is already funded, too, so you're definitely going to be getting products kind of that way. Um, the first time I saw this, I was like, why has nobody thought about this before? Right? Like, this is so simple. I mean, when we go to, like, packs, there are companies out there that sell full books of battle maps. Yeah. Like, you just flip open the book to the map you want, and then you put your dudes on there and run with it. That's a very similar thing to what this is, except it has pop-up, like, terrain in it. So you get these buildings and stuff that add layers to your maps and stuff like that, which is fantastic. And it, it looks really good. There are modular elements that you can put on each board. Everything from walls to a campsite to trees to... You know, whatever wagons and all the boards are dry erase as well. Yeah. Yeah. So 
there's a lot of really cool stuff with this um, that I think make it awesome for a couple reasons. One, the cost is not very much, which we'll get into in a second. Yeah. Uh, it's compared to like traditional terrain. Secondly, transportation of this is going to be a thousand times easier than hauling your dwarven forge haul around. That's right. Yeah. Um, this all folds up into a book. Like as soon as you're done with it, you just close it and it all folds up. Yeah. And you're done. All right. So let's talk about cost. Uh, cause that's obviously one of the big things that sold me on here. Um, so when you get into it, initially you can do a pledge of $24 or more as a build it yourself type of thing. Sure. Um, but there's when, also the $1 pledge. If you just want to jump on the pledge manager, yep, that's pledge true. Manager. Because if you don't have the funds right now, um, we've done that for a few pledges where you pledge at a dollar. Then when the pledge manager opens up, you can actually get what you want. It's fantastic. But when we get into the actual cost, so the first step that actually gives you like a physical product, like this is what you're buying is $28 and you get any one pop-up battle map for 28, 20 bucks. So I don't know what the comparison to Dwarven Forge would be, but to create something like this in Dwarven Forge, I bet would be probably 200 bucks. Yeah. Something around there. Easy, easy. Yeah. Like taking the, like the broken tower one. Yeah. Know, it, it, it's, it's least two, two and a half like levels of this tower that pops up. There's, I mean, Jesus, there's like a wagon that pops up. There's some like old boxes. Looks like there's a treasure chest in there. Yeah. Yep. So there are, I mean, this thing is so cool. There are like stairs, there are platforms. I know the one part even has um like a summoning circle, like onto the map and like all kinds of really like cool stuff that are in there. So, 28 bucks is the price of entry and that gets you one choice of a battle map, right? So, um, your options, you got the broken tower, you got the tavern. Um, so you can get one of those. Now, if you step up from that, the next pledge level is $68 or more. So you get the, what's called the origin set in this origin set includes physical versions of all applicable rewards and stretch goals. And it is, um, I have to, you, yeah, I have to pull the origin set up. What's in the box? The collective case uh, is open on the side. For a convenient map access, includes three large, so the 16 by 11 inch pop-up battle maps, nine 6 inch by 8 inch mini pops, and nine mini pop stands. Yeah, so it basically is everything that you can get right now. Right. Uh, and that comes in at 68 bucks. Which, again... That's so, yeah, that gives you three different terrain areas. Plus, it gives you the mini ones that you can are modular and you can move around and change. Yeah. Um. So, the next pledge level goes up. Uh, one twenty eight. You can get two sets. Uh, one eighty eight for three sets. Two forty eight for four sets. Again, that's kind of the way it keeps going up. Um. With this though, one of the things that I noticed really quickly is that. The fulfillment date for this says December of this year. That's pretty quick. So, which means they're already looking at they're already in probably already in production. Then that would be my suspicion. Um, is if they aren't in production, then they are at least have all their proofs and stuff done. Which, looking at you know the videos and stuff they have on here, I would assume that they do have some of that done. Yeah. Um. So, and initial shipping prices on this are pretty low too they're looking at 15 bucks for the continental u.s sure and i mean they're cardboard they're gonna be yeah. lightweight this looks like such a good idea i love the little camp pop-up there's like three little tents around it that comes with the forsaken ruins set um that's just yeah um the pledge manager the pledges go up though 
and it's basically just another set. You yep. can get two yep. sets, three sets, four sets, up to six sets. Um, but if you're a DM, like, I mean, one set is probably enough to for you to play with a party. Yeah, I would think absolutely, especially since you get the three different battle maps. Yep. So you're talking about, what's that, 68 bucks plus shipping. You're probably looking at, let's say, 100 bucks out the door. Like, uh, for three of these maps that are terrain, plus you get all the little modular pieces. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic investment if you like maps, but you don't really want to or you don't have the funds to be able to do like a full terrain setup. Yeah. And also, maybe you're looking for something that's a little more portable, too. I was going to say the portability on this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So check that one out. That this might be definitely one that we end up backing. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a fantastic looking game. All right. So let's talk about the next one. So last up on our list is Nekojima. This looks like Chaos Incarnate, and I think it's amazing. Yeah, so this is a brand new game from the company called Unfriendly Games, which I think is a fantastic name for a game company. Um, It is a dexterity-based game where you are trying to connect these power lines on this island, but you cannot let them touch each other. Right, and... So let's understand, when you go look at this, you'll see, but the board itself, it's not flat. Like, there's these wooden poles that you connect the power lines to, and the power lines are strings. Yeah, so each of the power lines is connected, uh, it has a wooden pole on each end of the line. And so when you're placing these on the board, you have to, like, string the line, basically, around these other power lines. One, without knocking over anything else, and two, without letting it touch anything else. All right. So the way that the game works is you have a set of dice. The dice tells you where on the board your poles need to be placed, as well as what lines you need, like what color lines you need to have. Okay. Now, to make things even more exciting, you also have these random cats that like to hang on your lines because cats are assholes and they do things like that. Um, You know, so uh, but the whole purpose of it is it's this dexterity based game where you basically try to to run these lines without touching the other ones. Um, And then, of course, whoever kind of knocks it over at the end is the one who does not. win. So. First of all, this game looks different. Yeah, this is definitely a unique game. Yes, that that is the first thing that when as soon as I saw it, the reason why I wanted to talk about it um, is because of the way that it looks. This is one of those games that has that table presence where if you if you have it out and are sitting there playing it, people are going to stop and look. Yeah. Right. So. um, It is a 20 minute time to play. It plays one to five players, technically up to eight if you get the duo variant, right? Which is crazy for a game. Yeah. Like a 20 minute play time up to five players. Like that may not be accurate because we know those those estimates are not always accurate. But this tells me this game is light and it plays fast. And I it, just looking at it, the difference of it, it looks extremely fun. Yeah. So let's talk about what how much it is. So there's the $1 pledge or $2 pledge uh, to get into the uh, pledge manager. Right. So moving up to like where you first get something is the exclusive pledge includes all exclusive stretch goals. Shipping will be charged in the pledge manager campaign. Blah, blah, blah. So it gets you the base game, the lazy cat expansion or extension. You get a special thanks on you get a numbered box and unlock stretch goals. 
uh, and that is $42 US. Yeah, which not bad for a game like this that is not just like a board and a couple pieces. Like, there's a bunch of stuff on here. Yeah, this is definitely a full game, and I mean, there looks like there's a lot to it. For about 87 bucks, the Collector's Pledge gets you the base game. It comes with a wooden box, which is a Kickstarter exclusive. The Tori ex- uh, extension, uh, neoprene dice mats, which you had me at dice mat, uh, a printed fabric, and Furukashi instructions. That is very cool. The Lazy Cats extension, the special thanks uh, with your box number, and an, an all unlock stretch goals, and that's coming in at like eighty seven bucks. Like I, this looks this looks like one of those games that's fast and simple and fun, um, and. Like you said, twenty minute game time is what they're estimating. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, really, like, just really unique and interesting game. Yeah, this is something. So I enjoy dexterity games anyway. Um, I think they're fun. They provide a really nice break um, from like traditional board games. Uh, and yeah, I think this one looks really fun. Um, it definitely does things different than what I've seen like of other dexterity games. It kind of reminds me of the game Tokyo Highway uh, in the way that because in that game, you kind of like building roads and you had yeah. to balance them. Yep. Uh, it kind of reminds me of that. But with the electric lines having to like snake them underneath some of them and like kind of go around others. And then, of course, you have the cat element. This one looks really cool and exciting. Um, so this is definitely one of those. This is going to be kind of an out there pick for us as far as. You know, it's not a mainstream game or anything like that, but it does look really fun and exciting. So if there's something you think you might be interested in, take a look at it. Watch the videos. There's a couple reviews and things like that as well. Um, But yeah, if it's something you think you might enjoy, back it. Right now, it is already reached its goal. It has... So it only has 53 hours left, but you should be able to get in there and do a late pledge or a late order on it. Yep. And with that, the destination is set according to the pilot. And the engines are good, so says the engineer. But the intruder queen has emerged from the hibernation chamber and is blocking the path. Was was that an escape pod? I have an alien egg to deliver. Later, suckers. For the Dapper Meeple, I'm Jim. And I'm Josh. Good night, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around and listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, let me ask you a favor. Follow us and leave us a like wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us out. And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for The Dapper Meeple. On Twitter, our handle is at The Dapper Meeple or email us at dappermeeplegaming at gmail.com. And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table. <laughs>